Jesus Encounter Part 2, Mark Chapter 8. We are looking at specific encounters that Jesus has with people in the gospel. If you think about it, all of our lives are shaped by Jesus encounters. If you're here today, wherever you are on the journey of faith, and I believe it's a journey, it's because of Jesus. Somebody started this church because of Jesus. Somebody who started this church came from another church and that church started because of Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later, about uh, two billion people on the planet, they worship the name of Jesus. He's divided history, amen, A, B, C, A, D. Every atheist that ever writes down the date is acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of time. So when we talk about Jesus encounters, we're talking about anything is possible with Jesus. Anything is possible with Jesus. What will he do in your life when you encounter him? This is where we are, Mark chapter eight. Uh, we're gonna look at a story one of the stranger stories in the Gospels, and it looks like Jesus messed up, but he didn't. He never does. Everything he does is with a purpose. Let's stand for the reading of God's word at all of our locations. Mark chapter eight, we're gonna read verses 22 to 26 for now. Verses 22 to 26 in Mark chapter eight. Here's what it says. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Everybody say that question with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, speak to your servants, and speak through your servant. And help us to hear your voice. And help us to know your word. And help us to see Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Jesus encounter. I want to talk to you about the blind man's encounter. An eye-opening process. An eye-opening process. This is a strange story, right? I mean, this is a strange story. What happened here? What, what, what's going on with the two touches, Jesus? You are Jesus. You have always healed, and it's been immediate. I mean, sometimes Jesus didn't even have to touch the person. He just said it. When lepers came to him and said, will you make me clean? He said, I will, be clean. And they were clean immediately. Sometimes Jesus didn't even have to be in the presence of the person to heal. The Roman centurion came to Jesus from a, from a great distance, and he said, look, my servant's at home, and he's sick, and I need you to come and heal him. And Jesus gets up to go heal him, and, and, the, servant says, and the centurion says, you know what? Actually, I know how authority works. I just say it, and it happens. So I know that if you just say it, he's going to be healed. And he did. And he wasn't even in the presence of the person that needed healing. And the centurion went home, the scripture records, and the servant was healed at the very hour Jesus said, he's healed. Sometimes Jesus didn't even have to be in the presence of the person, didn't even have to touch the person. So what gives here in Mark chapter eight? What is Jesus doing in this moment that he has to, to double tap the blind man? Anybody ever see Zombieland? Double tap. It's a double tap for healing, not blowing out a zombie's brains. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? And, and so this is a weird moment in Jesus' record, and it's the only place in the Bible where this happens, where Jesus starts the healing process, doesn't complete it, and then brings it to completion on a second 
time. And I think what's the, what, what's the deal here with this passage is simply this. Uh, Jesus is teaching through the miracle. Everything Jesus did was teaching. Everything that he does is on purpose. He's trying to lead us to know him. And so the first thing I want you to write down in your notes is that this is more than a miracle. This miracle is a parable for discipleship because here's where you are, here's where I am. We are there, but we're not there yet. We are, we are on the way. We are in process. And here's what I want you to understand about an encounter, an encounter with Jesus. Sometimes you need more than one touch to get a hold of what God wants to get into your life. I want to talk to some people who have beaten themselves up. You don't know the Bible like you should know it. You don't understand the scriptures like you wish you could. You see other people, they look so much further in the faith than you, and you wonder, is God done with you? Is this as far as you go? I got good news for you. Just because you're paused doesn't mean you're stopped. God's gonna move you forward into a new place in faith. And sometimes we're so thick-headed we need to see it in somebody else before we receive it in ourselves. Aren't you glad when you meet another Christian who's jacked up? Some of you tell me this. You say, Pastor, I love the best part of your preaching is when you're telling me all the ways you screw up. I'm like, I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or if I should take that as a warning. <laughs> Because I can relate to that. I don't know about you. I can relate to people in process. I don't want any finished products around me. You know what I'm talking about. I, 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 if they look finished, they're faking it. I'm just letting you know. We're all in process. And this story, this miracle, is a process. And it's speaking about blindness. Blindness. Here's... Here's the problem with where we are in our process. We just have yet to see things more clearly. You want to grow in Christ? Ask him to give you eyes to see what you're not presently seeing. It's why at the end of every um, time we stand for the reading of God's word, what's the last thing I pray for? Help us to what? That's intentional, you know. That's not just ritual. I want you and I to see Jesus. That's what we need. We need to see better than we're seeing right now. Every marriage in this house could be healed to a greater degree if we saw Jesus better because he's the true bridegroom and we are his bride. And if we saw how he loved us, we would love our spouse the way far better than we do right now. Every parent in the house needs to see Jesus to raise their kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Every person going through a trial and a trouble right now, you understand that the trial and the trouble in the physical really isn't the trial and the trouble. There's a spiritual unseen reality. You gotta do battle there to see victory here. I told this to our location that we're starting in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. I told Josh and the team, and I know they're listening, so listen up. Before you start a church in the physical, you gotta win the battle in the spiritual. Churches don't start because of great charisma or charismatic leaders. Churches start because people hunger and thirst after Almighty God. In fact, many ways, this church and all of the expansion of this church is actually predicated on the prayers of our location in Norwood. Norwood used to have Sunday night prayer meetings. All they would do is pray and do battle in the spiritual realm. And you know what they prayed for? They prayed that the church would spread across the globe. They prayed that this church would reach people from different nationalities, different areas of the country. They prayed that this church would raise up pastors that would, run, that would go to the far reaches of this land to bring the gospel. And now what we are seeing is happening because they won the battle in the unseen realm now, now 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 that's the good news but here's the bad news there are some things that I'm not currently seeing that I need to see and the only thing that's holding me back from moving forward in faith is that I, I don't know about you but you men in the house uh, married men in the house are you here all locations you see how quiet they are yeah yeah you know why? You know what? Because they're shamed. They're shamed on a regular basis. My wife has the gift of sight that I don't have. 
I lose stuff all the time. I lose stuff all the time. And then I look for it and I look for it and I get frustrated and I can't find it. Anybody, any men in the house who are married, you know what to do in this moment, right? You gotta ask the wife. Because for some reason, God has gifted the wife with a bloodhound sense <laughs> to know where stuff is that you will never find. <laughs> what happens in my house is I come home and I say, honey, I can't find my keys, or I can't find my wallet, or I can't find my this, or I can't find my that, and I'm always like, well, I can't find my AirPods. AirPods is usually the thing. I can't find my AirPods, where are my AirPods? And I start to freak out. And then I do the find my devices thing, that's worthless. They need to extract whatever they put into a woman's brain and put it into this thing so it can find something for once. And so I always have to do this because my wife will usually be reading a book or she'll be watching a television show or she'll be Instagramming or whatever and I have to kind of do the thing where I guilt her into getting up because she won't. And so I have to say, Cheryl, I can't find it. And she doesn't move. And I say, Cheryl, I can't find it. I have to get, like, I have to get weepy and Cheryl, I can't find it. I need you to have it. I don't know what I'm going to do, Cheryl. And finally she's like, okay, fine. And I, you know, it's just like, why don't you just do it earlier? Because in 13 seconds, she gets up, she walks over, here it is, finds it. I, it, it ticks me off, but, but there's two reasons. There's two reasons why I can't find it, okay? The first reason is because I don't look right, and the second reason is because I'm a man. So don't blame me, it's how I was born. I'm blind to things. Here's the truth about scripture. We're all blind some way. We all can't see things that we should see. And so take that, ladies. You're blind too. The Old Testament prophets talked about blindness repeatedly. Jeremiah chapter five, verse 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah the prophet was sent to a nation and God says to Isaiah, go tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. It's possible to see and still be blind. Some of you think you see but you don't see how you should see. And some of that is your fault but some of that is just ignorance to the reality of what you're surrounded by. There are three universal blinding powers. I want you to write them down at every location. Number one, we are naturally born spiritually blind. This is what scripture speaks to. We don't see the spiritual realm naturally. The scripture talks about that we teach things that are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot discern them. They're spiritually discerned. He thinks they're foolish. The gospel is foolish to those who think they see. The scriptures are foolish to those who think they are wise. Why is that? Because we are naturally born spiritually blind. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again, John chapter three, verse three. Sometimes we, we, we get frustrated with unbelievers because they don't see the world the way we see them, but we have to have some grace and compassion because the scriptures are very clear. They just haven't been born again. Some of you need to remember when you first came to Christ, remember this, that suddenly you saw things differently. Remember? Remember how you saw the Bible differently? Can anybody testify to the fact that the Bible was gibberish to you until you, until you received Jesus? Can anybody testify to the fact you thought going to church every week was crazy until you received Jesus? Anybody ever think, oh, prayer won't work until you received Jesus? And then suddenly you just saw the world differently. What happened? You got born again. Number two, there's another force. We are blinded by our own desires and sins. This is the Samson syndrome. Poor Samson, he always gets called out on this because this guy couldn't see anything spiritually. He was blinded by desire. He desired what? Foreign women. He desired Philistine women, pagan women. And we always think it's Delilah that was the downfall, but there was a Philistine woman before Delilah. We don't even know her name. And he got married to her first. Well, the marriage actually never even happened. He was, the woman was given to somebody else, and, and Samson flipped out because of that. And, and, and you would have thought that he would have learned that Philistine women are bad news, Samson. They're bad news. 
But he didn't, he was blinded by his desires and sins. And so when he found Delilah, he fell head over heels. And then eventually those heels were shackled to a grinding stone in a Philistine prison. It's amazing how oftentimes we can get blinded by what we want in life. Some of you are looking for a, a spouse right now, and, and if you're not careful, your eager desire to get married will lead you down a path of destruction that you can't presently see. The scripture talks about don't be unequally yoked. What does that mean? Don't be married to non-believers. You're gonna yoke up with somebody who doesn't love Jesus, and, and this is another one. Don't be yoked to false believers. You gotta check the receipt. You gotta read the fine print of their life. I know some people can get their spouse to come to Jesus, but it's rare. Thank God it does happen. But if you're single in this house, you gotta listen to me, please. I'm begging you, don't be so blinded by the desire to get married that you just settle for anybody because one of the devil's children is just waiting for you to drop your standards. You are a child of the Most High God, daughters of Waters Church at all locations. You are daughters of the Most High. You are princesses in the castle of heaven. Do not lower your standard for the frogs from hell. Blinded by our own desires and sins, this is how people get up into adultery because they get blinded by their desires and their sins. Jesus said again to Nicodemus, he said, this is the judgment, John 3, 19. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness. They loved what they wanted. They loved darkness rather than the light. They didn't want to come into the darkness lest their works should be exposed. We are, we are blinded. Isn't it amazing? How often we'll sell out our spiritual health for temporal pleasure. This is a daily struggle even for God's children. And, and Jesus warned very clearly, you're blind, you can, so what you want can blind you to what you need. Number three, we are blinded by the spiritual enemy. We got some, we got some issues with sight. We, we, we got natural blindness, we got, we got the lust of the flesh blindness, and then we've got an enemy who works in the spiritual realm who wants to blind us even further. 2 Corinthians chapter four says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what's going on in our world right now. You look at what's happening in our country, in our culture, and you say, what is going, how can people believe that? I don't get it. The God of this world has what? Blinded. And when you can't see, you'll stumble and walk into all kinds of dangerous places. We gotta have some compassion for the people in our world, some compassion for the neighbors and coworkers that we are near, because spiritual blindness is a universal issue. And it was an issue here in Mark chapter eight, but not with who you thought. Mark chapter eight, let me give you some context. Last week I gave you a pro tip about studying the Bible, and I hope you appreciate these. Uh, it is not just my job to preach, it's my job to teach. And so I taught you last week that if you wanna understand the meaning of any passage of scripture, the point of any passage of scripture, what did I say? You had to understand the point of what? The whole book. Thankfully over here some people were listening last week, okay. So in order to understand one passage, you have to understand the book's point. What did Mark write, that, what did Luke last week write his gospel for? Well, what did Mark write his gospel for? This is written to Romans. One, one, a couple of things about Mark's gospel is, you know who keeps seeing Jesus for who he is? Romans. Roman centurions. In fact, in Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel alone, it talks about the Roman centurion who stood at the cross and when Jesus died and he saw the earthquake, it was in Mark's gospel that the Roman centurion said, surely this was the son of God. So he knows his target audience. He's trying to reach Romans with the gospel of Jesus. But anyway, there's another tip I wanna give you about studying the Bible. If you wanna study a passage of the Bible rightly, you gotta learn this. Read before it and after it. 
So if you are ever stuck in a passage of the Bible and you say, I don't understand what this is saying. Okay, well, read what happened just before and read what happens right after. So we're gonna do that today. That's why I said, for now, we were gonna read Mark 8, 22 to 26. So now let's look at what's happened before this passage, because this is gonna give us some enlightenment. This is gonna give us some eyes to see what's been happening. So Jesus is in a frustrating season. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of his ministry. Uh, the, the commentators say this is the continental divide of Jesus's ministry. The continental divide of Jesus's ministry. What the heck does that mean? Here's what that means. Jesus for two years has been doing miracles publicly and um, powerfully. He has raised the dead. He has cast out demons. He has uh, healed the lame and the lepers. And he has opened mute tongues and deaf ears. And, and he has fed thousands with small bagged lunches. And he has walked on the water. And he has stilled the waves. And people have seen all the things that Jesus has done. And yet they don't believe. And so Jesus makes a decision right around Mark chapter 8. And it's right here here up on the screen, because what happens is the Pharisees, verse 11, came and began to argue with him, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. Like he had given them sign after sign after sign. And they still weren't satisfied. They still didn't believe. And so Jesus, look what it says in verse 12, and he sighed, what? This is an expression in the Greek, it's just, like it's not just, it's, uh, I mean, he is frustrated, and you could understand why after two years of doing thousands of miracles and people still want to see more, which just proves to you, by the way, and if there's one thing that miracles prove in the Bible, it's this. Number one, they prove that God is real, but number two, they, they prove this, that the hard hearts of humanity won't believe in spite of the miracles. Some of you say, I have friends, they say, if I would see God, I'd believe him. No, they wouldn't. They would just blame it on their own, you know, whatever, biology, physiology. Well, that was just something, that was an apparition. My mind was playing tricks on me. I didn't see, they'll make excuses because that's the heart. It's not a physical issue, it's a spiritual blindness issue. So the Pharisees are in that camp. Give us a sign. Give us a, show us that you're from heaven. And Jesus sighs deeply and he says, why do you ask for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And this is the continental divide in Mark's gospel. Because what's going to happen for the next year of his ministry is he will do no more public signs. He will do no more spectacular miracles for the, for the masses. From now on, Jesus will isolate himself with the 12, teaching them the principles of the kingdom, and then head to the cross to die for our sins, giving us the last sign. The last sign that he gives us is what? His death, burial, and resurrection. That's the last sign he'll give. Point taken here, I hope by some, that there's a point at which God just says, enough. I'm gonna turn off the spout of showing you all the things that you aren't responding to. That's where Jesus is. And so he's frustrated. And verse 13 kind of sums it up, and he left them. And he left them. Underline, and he left them. Because this is, again, the continental divide. I'm done with trying to show you the Lord's power. I'm going to isolate myself with those who are listening and paying attention. There is a great power to that, just being willing to listen. There's a great power to that. Listen to me, person who came to church today, and you came with your arms folded. But right now, God is starting to speak to you, and you've already dropped your arms, and your guard is coming down, and you're starting to think, maybe this is true. And I want to tell you something. That is the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart. Do not resist this moment. Because you don't know what's tomorrow going to bring. You don't know what next week's going to bring. This might be your salvation gateway. Listen and pay attention before, before God takes away what you've heard. That's what the scripture teaches. I know we don't like that. That's not very American. That's not seeker friendly, but it's what Jesus taught. There comes a point at which God says, okay, enough. I'm done. You're not listening. I'm moving on to other people. So it says he left him. He got into a boat. Now this is where the story starts to really shape us for the man being healed of his blindness. Verse 14. Now they, this is the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And so Jesus hears them speaking and I think what he does 
in the, in the boat, the disciples after a long day of ministry are in the boat with Jesus and I think that they start thinking, ooh, I'm a bit hungry. Uh, did anybody bring boat, b- bread? Did anybody bring food? And I think somebody was like, maybe it was Philip and he said, well, I got one loaf. And they're like, one loaf? We got a long trip across this lake. And I think that they just kind of did this thing where, you know, they had seen Jesus do some stuff and they just started to think, uh, Jesus, uh, we got no food, we got no bread, and we're kind of getting a little hungry. There's, there's a rumbly in my tumbly. And Jesus hears them talking about bread, and he says, you know what, speaking of bread, verse 15, he cautioned them, saying, speaking of bread, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, you know, this is Jesus being Jesus, because you never really had a, co- a normal conversation with Jesus. He was always talking about heavenly things. And then the scripture says that they began discussing, verse 16, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Okay, let me back up for a second. What does it mean here when he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? Uh, Jesus is talking about two different kinds of people that walk away from God. The first one is obvious, Herod. Now, leaven in the Old Testament was a symbol of corruption, an influencing, uh, a pervasive influence of corruption. It goes into the bread. And now, we, we, we think of yeast. I've got, some, I've got some yeast up here. Yeast can be nicely packaged and used in your bread or in your, in your baking. But leaven is a piece of the old loaf that you put on the shelf in the open air that would slowly gather bacteria and then you would take that piece and knead it into the new loaf and that bacteria would go to work during the baking process and raise the loaf. But if you let the leaven stay too long on the shelf, it became a dangerous object and a corrupting object, and it would ruin your bread. So leaven could be good, but it usually was a corrupting influence. And here Jesus uses it as a corrupting influence. And he says, there's there's two ways that you can get corrupted. Number one, let's talk about Herod. Herod's obvious. Herod is the guy who jailed John the Baptist because John the Baptist was calling out his adulterous affair with his wife's sister. Or with his with his brother's uh, sister, and so uh, he's he's the pleasure oriented, irreligious, secular, me first minded person. I'm gonna go do what I want to do, and I don't care what God says about it. And there's a bunch of people on this planet. That's where they are. Yeah, they're called rebellious sons and daughters. They're gonna do what they want, and they're gonna ignore what God says. That's the leaven of Herod. But there's another leaven that Jesus warns about the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is that you can miss God by being overly religious. And this one is the far more subtle missing of God, the far more subtle leaven. You can feel like you're a good person, you can sense that you are doing the right thing in life, that other people applaud you, they look at you, they admire you, and you can have all the praises of people, and you can fit into some kind of, I don't know, cultural or religious community, and you can have everything looking right on the outside, but like the Pharisees, your heart is not right with God. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody listen to me on the video, listen, you can miss God by being rebellious, And you can miss God by being religious. You can miss God both ways. And Jesus says to the disciples, you gotta be aware of this. It's not about your sin. Your sin doesn't stop you from coming to God. And it's not about your religious practices. Your religious practices cannot get you to God. You need one person who brings you to God. He takes the hand of a sinful man and the hand of a righteous God and brings them together through his blood. That's Jesus. And and, and Jesus is full on talking about this with the disciples. And what does it say that they start saying in verse 16? Well, I guess it's because we have no bread. As usual, the disciples are missing it. And Jesus, being fresh off the frustration from the Pharisees, is not frustrated with the disciples. In verse 17, it says this, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? He says, do you not yet perceive or understand? And are your hearts hardened? And then he picks up from Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophetic language. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Don't you remember verse 20, 19? He says, when I broke the five loaves 
for the 5,000? How many basket pieces did you pick up? And they're like, 12. He said, and for the 4,000, the seven loaves, how many basketfuls did you pick up? The seven. And then he said to them in verse 21, do you not yet understand? In other words, though they had been walking with Jesus, there was still a resident blindness in their eyes. They needed, listen to this very carefully, another touch. So do we. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but you're not done yet. There's still something God wants you to see. Wherever you are, however far you've come, where whatever you think you know about this Savior, can I tell you, there are still things that he wants you to see. And I want you to see them because when you get a hold of spiritual sight, it changes what's in the physical. It transforms your approach to life. It gives you faith to believe that all things are possible in Christ Jesus. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That you need to understand that you are in a spiritual battle and the battle is not physical. It's not with flesh and blood, but it's with the principalities and the heavenly powers of darkness in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. And we have to take up the armor of God and fight in the spiritual war that we are engaged in and take authority in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Over my family, over this church. It's a miracle that we are having church right now. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Those of you who get to church on time know something wasn't up here in our North Attleboro location. We got up this morning, we came to church, sound wasn't working. Whole system wasn't working. And I don't know if you can tell, but we rely on sound a lot. We rely on technology. It was not working. They were running the scrambling. The team was scrambling all over. It wasn't working. And uh, we have a pregame meeting right here at 8.20 in the morning before service. And we pray. And so we got down on our knees and we just prayed. And then I said, you know what, let's, let's create an atmosphere of worship. And we just started to worship God and praise God and glorified God. And sometimes that's all you can do when the enemy starts coming at you and putting up roadblocks in your life and he wants to discourage you. The best way to discourage the enemy is to praise in spite of the problem, is to worship when you should be worrying. Devil can't handle that. Devil doesn't know what to do with a praising saint that he's thrown the, all the, the damage of hell against them. He doesn't know what to do. So we started worshiping and praising. This team is scrambling. You gotta worship and work. Amen, somebody? You can't just pray, you gotta also work. So they worked on their product and we just prayed and worshiped right here in this. And I don't know if you know this other locations, but you know, it's one thing if you lose power, but it's a real bad thing if the main one loses power. We can't send anything to anyone else. We got seven churches hanging on this. And so we're praising him. I just said to the team, I said, I just feel like we should pray the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Can I tell you this? And the Lord's kind of like been dealing with this with me for a little while. Pray the Lord's Prayer. I don't know how to pray. What are you talking about? He gave you the exact words. It covers everything. It covers worship, hallowed be your name. It covers uh, surrender, your will be done, your kingdom come. It covers daily needs, give us this day our daily bread. It covers forgiveness, forgive us, we'll forgive them. It covers spiritual warfare, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it covers worship, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the glory, and yours is the power, forever and ever, amen. amen. Covers everything you need. It's, an, it's a comprehensive prayer. So I said, let's pray. And, and we prayed the Our Father. We prayed it once. I said, you know what? I just feel like we should pray it again. And we prayed it a second time. And then, and then, and, and then here's where your pastor failed. The Lord said, pray it a third time. I said, ah, that's enough. Never tell God it's enough. Don't do that. So they're scrambling, and we're, and it was getting like to 9.50, it's 8.55 a.m., 8.56 a.m., and the Lord said, I told you to pray it a third time. And I said, oh, Lord, if I tell them to pray it a third time and nothing happens, I'm going to feel really terrible. I, I don't want you to let me down. He doesn't let you down. 8.56, 8.57, 8.58. I was making a deal with God. You ever do this? I said, if the, if the clock strikes 8.59 right now, I'll... It did. So I said, you know what, guys? Let's just pray. I just feel we should pray the Lord's Prayer one more time. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As soon as we got to deliver us from evil, boom, the sound went on. <laughs> now, two things. We prayed and we worked. They worked together. Thank God for our techs who worked hard, but let us not discount the fact that there's a spiritual battle in the works every day of our lives. And Jesus is begging us. There's more to see. In the words of the great transformer, there's more than meets the eye. Amen? So picking up the story that we just read, and they came to Bethsaida, verse 22 of Mark chapter eight, and they came to Bethsaida. And we read this story, so I'm not gonna read it again. We'll have the verses underneath the points. Why is this important? Because Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, of Andrew and Philip. And you have to ask yourself, um, is Jesus dropping them off? Is he done with them? Is he like, that's the end of this stuff? I'm done with these guys who won't listen? No, he's setting them up for an encounter to see more than they presently see. And that's what an encounter is. I want you to write this down. A Jesus encounter is a progressive spiritual eye-opening experience. And I got four quick points, and then we're done. And these points will help you see, I'm telling you, I'm gonna say them quickly, so write them down quickly. These four points will help you see clearer. Number one, spiritual sight develops when I stop focusing on physical things. You gotta close your eyes to the physical and open your eyes to the spiritual. If you wanna grow to the next level, if you wanna get stronger in the spiritual realm, you have to ask God to open your eyes. This is what the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 18. Open my, what is the prayer? Open my eyes. Hey, only God can open your spiritual eyes. Otherwise, the psalmist would have said, I open my eyes that I may hold, behold wondrous things out of your life. No, God, I can't open my eyes. I'm praying that you open my eyes. So wherever situation you're facing, the finances are tight. God, open my eyes to see what's going on. The children are out of control. God, open my eyes to know how to pray for this child. The marriage is in trouble. God, open our eyes that we can take this to you and, 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 and do battle in the spiritual realm, to win the battle in the spiritual realm. Over, open my eyes. Can we say those three words on the count of three at all locations? One, two, three. Open my eyes. In other words, get me to stop looking at what I see physically and help me to see things spiritually. We can get so caught up in the temporal, we miss the eternal. There was a worker at a factory who was leaving the factory for the day, and he was pushing a wheelbarrow. In the wheelbarrow was a box. In the box was sawdust. He comes to the guard gate. The guard stops him. He says, hey, whoa, where do you think you're going? He says, I'm leaving for the day. He says, what's in the box? He says, sawdust. He says, I don't believe you. Open it. The guy says, I'm, I'm telling you, it's sawdust. You know, up on the floor, there's all the sawdust. I thought I would take it home. He says, open the box. He takes the box, he pours it out, sawdust. The, car, the guard says, go home. The next day, same thing, brings the wheelbarrow down through the guard gate. Guard says, what's in the box? Sawdust. Open it, turns it up, open, sawdust. Go home. Third day, the guard's like, all right, just go. Fourth day, just go. Fifth day, just go. Sixth day, next week, again, with the wheelbarrow and the sawdust, he comes to the guard gate. The guard says, enough, stop. I know you're stealing. You're stealing something and I just, I, I need to know what it is. And so here's my deal with you. I promise not to report you if you tell me what you're stealing. And the man says, fine, I'll tell you. I've been stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> I stole that joke from Jay John, a great preacher in London. It's a fantastic pastor. But sometimes we can get so caught up in sawdust you know what your car is? It's future impound lot material. It's future junkyard material. That's what your car is. You know what your house is? It's future firewood. You know what your clothes are? Future um, goodwill items. You're so caught up, so caught up in the things of this world. You gotta stop it. You gotta see there. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm just saying don't get absorbed by it because it's 
blinding your eyes to the spiritual war and the spiritual reality around you. You want to grow in your sight? Get your eyes off of things below. Put your eyes on Jesus. You, you want to get joy in your heart? Stop looking at all the reasons why you shouldn't be joyful and start counting the reasons why you should be joyful. If you're a Christian, you should be joyful for a few things. Am I talking to anybody who knows what I'm talking? At every location, do you understand that if you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ's blood, that you are accepted into the beloved, that you are on your way to heaven, that an eternity of joy in the presence of God awaits you, that nothing the devil throws against you will prosper over you, that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should know you are brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm born again and I'm excited to say Jesus is my savior. You gotta learn to talk to yourself about this. Re spiritual realities trump physical trivialty, trivialty, trivialties every single day. And you gotta get your eyes off of what you're seeing and onto him. Spiritual sight number two develops in solitude with Jesus. Now, this is a big problem for us. Because although we are more alone than ever, we're more connected visually than ever. So we, we're kind of like in a, we're kind of going through this uh, human experience season that has never happened before. How, how is it possible that we are far more alone and isolated than ever before and yet far more aware of everybody else than ever before? Anybody just after a while of scrolling, you're like, okay, I don't need to know anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Can I just tell you that this thing will blind you to the spiritual reality God wants to show you? It's a tool, and you can use it, and you should, and it's fine. It can, you can use this for good and for evil. It's not, it's not immoral, it's amoral. But if you want to develop spiritual sight, you got to get along with Jesus. you got to put this thing down. And I'm not talking all day. I know some of you are going to be like, that's it. No more phone for the week, kids. No more phone. No, stop. Don't be ridiculous. An hour, a half hour. Turn it off, maybe open this. I should be getting a lot more amens for that. This is, I'm not telling you to clap for me, I'm telling you to clap for the truth. So look at what Jesus does with this man. It says this, he took the blind man and led him by the hand. Look at this, he says, remember, continental divide, I'm doing no more public miracles. He takes the blind man and he separates him from his society. Sometimes God's got to separate you from what you're familiar with so he can show you things you're unfamiliar with. Sometimes you've got to get alone with your Savior. Not sometimes, all the time. Henry Nouwen, a great Catholic priest, said solitude is the furnace of transformation. When you get alone. Now there is a big difference, and this, hear me, between solitude and loneliness. Loneliness is the devil's game. Solitude is your game plan to be with God. Don't, don't get lonely, but do get alone with God. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know, Psalm 46, verse 10. We've lost the ability to be still. Hyper-connected, aware of everything. Notifications, pinging and dinging all the time. Ping, ping, bang, ping, ping. Ah, ah. I just see these things are just driving us crazy. Why is anxiety up, we wonder? What's the next ping? Turn it off, take it off, disconnect, get alone, be still. The word for be still here in, in Hebrew is the word rafa. It means to abandon to leave alone. That's what it means. You want to get still, you got to abandon everything else. Daily vacate from your life. Daily vacate from all your responsibilities and all your relationships and get alone 
with God. The scripture says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus had to withdraw to lonely places and pray to keep his spiritual strength up, you better believe that you and I have to do it too. Because none of us were conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was. How much more do we need to disconnect to see God? I'm just telling you, there are some things that you're only gonna see in your prayer closet. Point number three, spiritual sight develops in stages, so don't settle for where you are. Don't say to yourself anymore, and some of you need to say, I feel it in my spirit that some of you need me to put the phrase out there because you've been saying it to yourself for years. Well, this is as far as the Lord is gonna take me. No, stop telling yourself that. Some of you look at me and you say, wow, powerful spiritual man. <laughs> I've been saved since I was five years old. I'm 46. That's 41 years of walking with Jesus. We started this church when I was 27 years old. I look at some of my, my notes from my first couple of sermons to this church. I'm horrified <laughs> at what I taught you people. Horrified. I can't believe you're still here, some of you. You're still here. Do you know what happened? God put some earplugs in your ear while I was learning. That's what he, that's what he did. You grow. The old song, just a closer walk with thee. Precious Jesus is my plea. Daily walking, Lord, with thee. What's the last line? Whatever it is, it's good. I'm sure it is. Look it up. So this is what happens in this passage is the man comes and it says this in verse 25. Jesus laid his hands on him. He says, do you see anything? He said, I see people, but they look like trees. And then he says, I, li I like this because Jesus said, okay, just like the disciples in the boat, you need another step. You need another touch. Jesus laid out his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And the, and the, and the Greek word for he saw everything clearly means um, that he saw things at a distance with absolute clarity. I think that's important to point out. He got 2020 vision. I think that's the best 2020 vision. Correct me if I'm wrong in an email to somebody other than me. Anyway, anyway um, he saw perfect vision and he saw long distance. Some of you need long distance vision because you're in the immediate and you need another touch where God starts to lift your eyes up over the horizon and you can see things coming from a mile away. Wait, 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 before we go for that, let's, let's wait, let's pause. Something tells me that's not right. God's given me some vision about that. I don't think we should be going, maybe this is the direct, wait a second, we're not gonna buy this house, we're gonna buy that house. Uh, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna go to that college, I'm gonna go to this college. You need to have some, God give you another touch so that you can have some long range vision for your life. And that brings me back to the disciples because they had short term vision. Point number four, and let me unpack it. Spiritual sight develops when I see my sin on Jesus. I wish I would change this point. Can you just scratch out develops and, and well, no, don't scratch out develops, but just put above it starts. Spiritual sight starts and develops when I see my sin on Jesus. Back to the disciples. This is why Mark puts this passage in this moment because they just saw a man get healed in stages to see things more clearly. Verse 27 of Mark chapter eight, Mark 8, 27, it says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. It's a beautiful, luxurious place rebuilt by Philip, Herod Philip. And it says this, and on the way he asked the disciples, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some say one of the prophets. And he said, now this is the point I want to get to. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, it says, Peter, it says they in Mark, but we know it's Peter from Matthew. And, and Peter says, you are the Christ. Verse 30, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now let's go deeper, he says. Now that you know I'm the anointed one, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And poor Peter. I mean, he went from mountaintop to valley in 10 hot seconds. Anybody ever do that with God? 
and Peter takes him aside and he began to rebuke him. This is not gonna happen, Lord. No, 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 you're gonna conquer. You're gonna overthrow Rome. You're gonna, you're gonna bring us glory here on this earth. And the Bible says in verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind. Let me put it another way. You are not seeing the things of God. You're seeing the things of men. In other words, you need to see me not just as a healer and miracle worker, you need to see me as your savior. You, you understand that all healing on this planet is just temporary? Some of you need to hear this. That thing that you are begging God to do right now in your physical reality, you understand it's just temporary and you're gonna lose it anyway someday? or it's gonna lose you? Oh God, give me that house, oh God, give me, all right, fine, but it's just temporary. Oh God, give me the healing in my body, I'm so sick of this knee, I'm so sick of this hip, I'm so sick of the, I need healing, okay, wonderful, but it's just temporary. Oh God, would you fix my marriage, oh God, would you save my son, oh God, would you do this, all right, all wonderful, but all those physical things that you are so obsessed with, they're just temporary. There's something more important than healing, and it's salvation. There's something more important than the happy American family, and that is having every family's member's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's something more important than vocational success, and that is spiritual victory over your past and spiritual victory promised to your future, that your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven in Jesus' name. Write this down so I know you're getting it. My deepest need is to see what Jesus did for me when he bore my sins on the tree. In many ways, the blind man saw it before anybody else did. The first time Jesus touched him, he said, what do you see? I see men walking around as trees. He opened his eyes again, and then he saw the man physically, clearly, who would be hung on a tree for you and me. That's where spiritual sight begins.